Hey, you guys can grab a seat. There's peace for you introverts. Peace, peace, peace. I am actually an introvert myself, so if you guys, if I haven't met you guys, my name's Nick, and if I haven't met you, it's because I get easily intimidated by large groups of people, so, and that doesn't get easier as you get older. Um, yeah, you know, there's this verse in the Proverbs that says this. It says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. If you guys are worried that we're about to do another dating and marriage series, don't worry. <laughs> Actually, it's uh, Colby Douglas. Is he in the room? Raise your hand, Colby. <laughs> He's our resident expert on dating and marriage, so ask him if you have any questions. Uh, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so there's a verse in the Proverbs that says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And every time I hear that, that hits me like a ton of bricks. And the reason that does is because the first thing I think of is I think of the time that me and Amanda, my wife of seven years, were slow dancing to James Bay in a closed down coffee shop. And that was the first time she told me she loved me. Yeah. And it's, I, yeah, I like the, uh. So, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I, that was one of the most precious moments of my life, you know, straight up. You know, I, I, I remember the time that she turned around the corner and walked down the aisle, just beautiful in the wedding, her wedding dress, and the times that we were going to get, and it was like, this is my wife, and you just break down like guys normally do. You know, I remember, I remember the time that she brought, she opened up about a lot of hidden brokenness and a lot of hidden things from her story, and I got to, I had the honor and privilege of seeing the hand of God in her life, and there's just beautiful and just full of joy of just being able to see that precious moment. Um, and, you know, so when I hear that verse, I wonder, like, why does it hit me so hard? And I think it's the wife of your youth. It forces me to remember, forces me to think. Uh, you know, there's another moment, so I'm going to cry a lot, just for the record. It's getting me, like, thinking, I'm thinking about a lot of memories in the sermon, which you'll see why. Um, you know, I, there's another verse in the book of Revelation where uh, Jesus is actually talking directly to the church at Ephesus. And he says, return to your first love. And when I hear that verse, it hits me like a ton of bricks. And, and you know, the artist in me, the musician in me, asks why. And I think it's that phrase, your first love. Because the first thing I think of, I remember the moment when I was bawling in the shower. Because I just got busted by the cops for spray painting a bunch of F-bombs pictures of inappropriate things and spray painting drugs on the side of my health teacher's house. I just got busted by the cops for doing all those things. Yes, story for another time. Um, and, and I actually heard the gospel. Uh, my brother laid out a Bible that outlined the gospel. I didn't grow up in the church. And I remember the first time I, exp I experienced and tasted the peace and love of Christ where I came to God and I was like, hey, if you'll take a sinner like me, I'm yours. And the peace of God that hit me in that moment like nothing I've ever experienced, even though it was the worst time in my life. I remember that. I remember one time sitting, I, you know, I hear the remember your, return to your first love. I, I remember this one time sitting on this lake in Wisconsin under this gazebo and I read John 10. And it was literally like Jesus was standing there just saying to me, I am the good shepherd. I remember the grace that God had just reading his word and spirit meeting me in that just unique way. 
You know, I remember all these faces that just embodied the love of Christ that when my family fell apart, God brought all these different people into my life. And I remember God, my first love, and it hits me. And why is that potent? Because it forces me to think back and remember. Uh, and that's our text today. Paul is essentially going to the, talking to the church at Thessalonica, the church that he planted. The reason why there's Christians there is because he went and shared the gospel and planted a church. And he's asking them to, hey, go back and remember his ministry. Remember how he labored among them. And my question to you as we read this text is why? Why does he want them to go back and think and remember? And I'm not going to answer that because we're going to read the text. And I want you guys to think about it. Um, and so we'll answer that as we go through the text. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Super strength. So uh, I'm a musician. I don't have any strength. Um, the, yeah, so that's, that's all right. So I got two goals. I got two goals as we go through First Thessalonians. I hopefully won't break this thing again. Um, I got two goals. Uh, the first goal is we're going to hear Paul talk a lot about how he did ministry. And I think one of the reasons why this text is in our Bibles is because God actually wants, there's a good a positive example of how to do ministry here. So if you're a Christian in this room, I, as we read this text, I want you to think about like, man, how does this change how I love my neighbor? How does this change how I share the gospel? If you're not a Christian and you're like, what the heck is all this stuff talking about? Uh, this is a good example of what, how Christians actually should show Jesus to the world. And so you may or may not have a good experience of that. Um, but this is it. And so this is something to, I want you to examine and consider that. And for all of us, I want that question of why. Why is Paul trying to get the Thessalonians to remember? Um, and before we jump into our text, we need to pray. Uh, I need to pray. <laughs> so pray with me. Uh, God, I just pray for tonight. I pray that you help us see your word. I just echo even Keaton's prayer of, Lord, that whatever you have from your text that you want to speak to us, I pray you just open our hearts, our ears, and our brains to understand it, and our hearts just respond and see you in it. Uh, yeah, we need your help. I also pray that I don't mumble or ramble or go 15 minutes over like last time. I genuinely need your help for that. Amen. So, sorry if you were here last time I preached two years ago, however long that was. Um, yeah, if you guys have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So, this text, um, I love literary structure. You should love literary structure too if you read the Bible. If you're an artist, you should love literary structure. If you write poetry, Darius, wherever you're at. Literary structure. He knows. He knows. We talk about it. Um, so anyway, so this, this text is breaking up into five four statements. F-O-R. He's going to say four, and then he's going to say a bunch of stuff. And then he's going to say four, and then a bunch of stuff. So we're essentially going to break it down by the five different four statements that he makes. So here's four number one, verses one through two. So Paul says this, right into the church in Thessalonica. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that are coming to you is not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. So he says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that are coming to you was not in vain. So the first thing he's like, hey, go back and think back, right? I want you to think back. And he says, and he, he highlights something interesting. He says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. So Paul came to Thessalonica from somewhere. And where he came before this was a town called Philippi, and apparently it sucked. Whatever happened, he was shamefully treated. And luckily, we actually know what happened. So this, this story is actually captured in Acts 16. And Paul was in Philippi, and here's a short version of what happened. 
Paul was walking around the town sharing the gospel, and there's this demon-possessed girl who's just screaming at the top of her lungs, and Paul turns around and, ex- and casts a demon out of her. I know, it's a crazy story. And what happens is her, so a demon-possessed girl who was a slave, and her owners were super ticked at Paul because they made money off this slave girl. Heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. And so they were so mad at Paul that they brought him to the authorities, and Paul got beaten to a pulp and thrown in jail. And then what happened is God works a miracle. The jailer, the jailer gets converted. It's a crazy story. Go read it, Acts 16. And Paul gets out of jail, and then he goes to Philippians. So that's the context in which he comes to Thessalonica in the first time. So, you know, have you guys ever ridden in a car for six hours? It sucks. We did a 15-hour road trip. It sucks. You know, imagine, imagine being beaten to a pulp. Like, that's terrifying. Like, that's, that's hard physically, that's hard emotionally. Imagine getting thrown in jail unjustly. I get mad when, like, I get accused of some thought that I don't have. You know, <laughs> you know that's like, you know, that's, that's not like being thrown in jail unjustly. And then, and, then that's, and then he travels in the ancient Greco-Roman world across roads, not in a car. And that's the context in which Paul met the Thessalonians. And, you know, what's interesting is he says this. He says, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Uh, you know, I, would you call yourself bold to share the gospel uh, when there's something at cost? You know, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I, I really struggle with sharing the gospel uh, when I'm tired. There's actually a phone call that, this is maybe a week and a half ago, there's a phone call I almost didn't take uh, and the reason why I didn't take it uh, was because it was my day off. God help me. And that phone call, the reason why it was important to me for to take it is because it was actually me talking to, it's a long story, but it was a massive, really important conversation where I got to share the gospel and I knew that was going to happen. And I almost didn't take it, literally because I was tired and I worked for a church and I feel like I can only share the gospel during work hours. God help me. Um, you know, are, are there times in which you're like, hey, I don't want to love this person even though I know that the Lord's calling me to do this right now in this unique way because this, I need some self-care time. You know, I, I think there's something wise that your generation and my generation has of like we care about certain things. We realize we're not infinite in ways that maybe other generations struggled with. Uh, and Sabbath and rest and not overcommitting are really important. I, I wholeheartedly embrace those values. Um, but I think there's a lot of times that we, what we do is we use self-care as an excuse not to love our neighbor sacrificially. That we're only willing to love if we have a full tank. And you know, I know one thing, the Thessalonians are so unbelievably thankful that Paul was willing to love them even when it sucked, even when he was exhausted, even when he was beaten to a pulp, even when he actually experienced a lot of conflict even in Thessalonians, in Thessalonica. Um, you know, and I, and I think... So my encouragement to you guys is don't miss opportunities to share the gospel because you're tired, because of suffering. You know, some of you guys, like, there's actually things that cost. You know, we could talk about persecution in the American church. Um, you know, like, it is hard to be a Christian in certain environments. There's something socially, and sometimes you miss opportunities to share the gospel because there's something that costs. I'm not talking about being weird and just creating some weird circumstance that people are going to write you off before you even walk up the door. But I'm talking about gospel opportunities with friends and people you care about. 
where there's actually open doors that you don't. Um, and yeah, and it's funny. I, I feel like the older I've gotten, the more and more boldness has had to be a discipline, and it's been less and less natural. So this is something you've got to constantly fight for. Um, speaking from an old guy who's 30, so I can say I'm old compared to all of you. So, amen. Amen, Adam, wherever you're at. He knows. We've got back problems. So, yeah. You know, I, there's a guy that this reminds me of. I couldn't help but think about this. I've, my buddy Lucas, he was one of those guys that he got a 34 in his ACT. Uh, he had two patents before his junior year of college uh, that literally earned companies like millions of dollars. Like super freak academic. He was we made fun of him because he was the poster child of our university, which is about the, I went to a school about the same size as CSU. And literally his face was like all over the university. It was on the banners of like every other banner, like driving around campus. It was like on our front page of our website. And, uh, and we'd made fun of him for it. And he was a really busy dude. But you know what? Like literally one of the busiest guys I've ever met. He was literally at church every Sunday. Uh, you know, he was, he was at large group, which is what we called essentially this type of gathering of the college ministry I was a part of. He led a small group that I was a part of, and he was there every single week. And I think most importantly is he met with me weekly. And uh, literally, he met with me weekly, and uh, he was hard to hang out with outside of that because he was busy. But he was really faithful as a friend. Um, and he's actually, you know, what's interesting is he actually changed his major uh, halfway through college because he felt called and clearly uh, to be a pastor. He's actually a pastor out in Florida and has been that way for 15 years now, something like that. Um, he's a couple years older than me. And, uh, and you know, what's interesting is literally he got screamed at by the university. I mean, screamed at, because their poster child, like he was the one that was gonna go to MIT for grad school and give a bunch of money to the university. And I mean, he got chewed out by his parents, he got chewed out by the university, he got chewed out by a lot of different people because he was essentially taking away their economic opportunity because of Jesus. And you know what he still did? It, it, it was chaos. He only got busier. He still met with me weekly. That meant the world. I'm so thankful for that. And I know the Thessalonians were so thankful for Paul. Um, and, you know, Paul shared the gospel boldly amidst suffering. But that still raises the question, why does he want them to think about this? Why is he bringing this up? So, which he continues. We're not going to answer it. You've got to stay tuned. Pay attention. So he says this. He says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. Oh, I love that. Please God who tests our hearts. Just has some ring to it. You know, uh, what's the, oh, here we go. The first thing he says, for our appeal, our appeal referring to the gospel that he's sharing. And uh, just, just for the record, if you, uh, I realize not everyone might know the gospel. Here's a very short version of the gospel. Short version of the gospel is that God separated, we are separated from God because of our sin. And we experience brokenness with God, we experience brokenness with the other, with each other, and every, you know, sin can be defined as moral evil, Everything that's wrong with the world is because of that. The reason why God isn't here in face-to-face is because of sin. But God actually put on flesh, became a man, actually bore the weight of punishment against all moral evil uh, on himself through his death and resurrection. 
and gives complete new creation life, reconciliation with God and reconciliation with other people uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. All you have to do is call Jesus Lord and Savior and say, hey, you are who you say you are and I'm yours. And you can have that. Forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, eternity with him, and actually hope to be new creations today. There's the gospel. That's his appeal. And that message that he shares with the Thessalonians, he doesn't do it from error, impurity, or any attempts to deceive. You know, I think something I really appreciate about Paul, in the book of Galatians, he actually says this. He, He talks about he's been doing ministry for a while, and he's been going from town to town sharing the gospel, and at one point in time, he stops, and he goes back to the church in Jerusalem, which is where all the apostles at that time were, so which are the people who walked with Jesus, and he's just like, hey, I want to make sure I got the gospel right. <laughs> Let's just double check. I want us to make sure I understand this. And, you know, this is Paul. Like, he's brilliant, you know? Like, you know, he uh, probably had the entire Old Testament memorized or pretty close to it. And, uh, and he's like, I just want to make sure I got this. And they're like, hey, you got it, man. Keep going. Um, but, like, Paul actually, he cared enough to make sure that he was representing God and representing this, this beautiful thing that God has done rightly that he's like, I need to even just go back and double check. And you know, one of my fears, uh, and I'm going to make blanket statements about your generation, have grace on me. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, but even in this college ministry, that there's many of us that can articulate maybe some of the good things that Jesus gives or Jesus sometimes gives, but we actually can't articulate the gospel. You know, we can talk about how, like, God met us in our sadness and our loneliness. We can maybe talk about how God brought us into a community and we had friends, which may or may not be something that God gives, just for the record. The church is a great opportunity for friendships, but it's also not the gospel, even though it might be because of the gospel. That we can talk about those things, but we can't talk, but we don't know how to talk about the fact that God saves sinners, of which we are the foremost. And that we're actually reconciled with Yahweh, the triune God. And that changes absolutely everything because we were created to worship him. That that's not a part of our language. And, you know, Paul doesn't say things out of error, out of incorrectness. That doesn't mean be afraid to share the gospel as in it's like this like intellectual globe that we have to fully understand. But it does mean that we're like, do we know it? Do we know it? I remember it was, a, it was probably a year and a half of me being a Christian before I could probably articulate the specifics of the gospel. I knew it. I felt it in one sense, but I couldn't say it. And so that's an encouragement I have for you guys. If you don't know how to do that, uh, talk to Adam. Raise your hand. No, it's good. He gave an awesome talk about how to share the gospel. He does it all the time. So talk to him. So he's a good dude. <laughs> or Colby, if you have any questions about marriage. So <laughs> Colby, Colby, not Colby. I <laughs> stop making that joke because I'm going to memorize your name wrong. So... Uh, yeah. So, not from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. I love to debate. Uh, just a good question, I think, as we hear this. Do you, do you care more about winning an argument to justify your position as a Christian more than you care about sharing the gospel? As, uh, that's something I struggle with. As someone. I love to argue because that's how I think. Um, and that's something I have to remind myself multiple times. Do I care about the gospel and winning and loving a loving someone more than I care about being right. Paul did, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, you know, but just as we have been approved by God to entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. I, I know it's not highlighted. It's verse 4 that's just before the highlighted verse. Um, I just want to make a quick point. 
Paul was entrusted with the gospel, so he spoke. Uh, you know, Paul did have this unique interaction with God where he, crazy thing. It's in Acts 9, I think, Acts 9 or 10. Um, go read his story. It's pretty cool. Um, but you know who else is entrusted with the gospel? Every single Christian in this room. There's a thing called the Great Commission. You know? Now, therefore, go and go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't mean to trivialize that verse. It's really important. I just, but that's, yeah, sorry. Um, but that's every single one of us. So it's every single one of us who's a Christian. And, uh, and then he continues, he says, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Uh, you know, there's this verse in 1 Corinthians 2 where Paul's also talking, and he says, I did not come to you with lofty speech or wisdom or powerful rhetoric, but I came to you preaching Christ crucified so that your faith might not rest in the uh, wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. And, you know, I, he, he knew that seeing God work in people's hearts is infinitely more beautiful than per- being perceived as smart or wise or winning an argument. There is absolutely nothing more beautiful, and I mean, than God. But one of the most, I think, just jaw-dropping things I've ever experienced as a human being is seeing God melt the human soul when God melts, when God shows up and does something powerful. You know, it's funny. Um, I, there's someone I was praying for for about a decade. Um, oh, not a decade. I mean, it was, it was about 15, 20 years. Ah, uh, 15 years. That's 20s hyperbole. I said, I'm not that old. Um, and you know, it's funny, I actually wrestled with so many doubts for such a long time because my struggle was, what, what would this person tell me to make me lose my faith? And you know, it's funny, that was, I worked through so many things and God showed up in so many awesome ways. And it, I, I learned that that wasn't really the root issue of doubts, for me at least. Um, and uh, you know, it's funny, I was, I was expecting when the Lord, if the Lord was going to work in this person's heart, it was going to be some complicated argument over epistemology that I was prepared to have. You know what's really funny? You know the thing that melted this person's heart that I've been praying for for forever? Uh, it was a mediocre sermon from Adam, actually. I'm going to keep calling him out. He's, he's a good preacher now. He was not when I first met him. So, like, he knows that. He knows that. I, he's great. He wasn't bad. He was, but he's, like, he's become a really gifted speaker, and Lord's really used it. But don't think of Adam now. Think of Adam just not as good. And... Um, <laughs> And you know, it's funny, I led worship that service. This was at a church, this was at a church we were part of in Denver. And, and I led worship that service. It was not good. It was a weird service. It was just a weird service. I was in my head, like, it was just weird. You know, like, it was just weird. And this person came to the service. And literally, the, I, I had a conversation. I was praying for 15 years to have. Um, and he said, it literally was like God was standing there and there's electrodes over his entire body. And this is someone who hates Jesus. This person had two doctorates. This isn't like, you know, uh, and, you know, and it's just shocking. There's just something beautiful about the Lord melting the human soul and the genuineness. And, you know, Paul didn't get in the way with his gospel. He didn't speak to get affirmation. He didn't speak to be right. He didn't speak to shut people down like we're addicted to on YouTube. He spoke to please the Lord because there's nothing better, nothing more beautiful. 
Um, you, know, you know, it makes me think of, um, I'll change your name because I don't, not that people would be listening to this sermon, but in case someone is, uh, there's this girl named Emily who is from an Eastern European, uh, predominantly Muslim country, so ex-Soviet bloc, nothing to do with our connections with Albania, just for the record. Um, and, you know, I met her about two weeks after she became a Christian. She genuinely had this miraculous, I mean, dream vision, crazy situation, uh, and became a Christian and responded to the gospel. And two weeks later, she was sharing the gospel at this college ministry trip. Um, and that's where I met her. And there was, and just for context, she was trying to get her green card just so she could get refugee status because she was terrified about going back home because the second, she knew she was going to tell her family, but she was genuinely afraid that she might get murdered if she went back home, just for context. So this isn't like light, uh, real persecution. And, um, and she was sharing the gospel uh, with all these kids in Florida and Panama City Beach, and it was just absolutely jaw-dropping and beautiful. She could barely articulate it, but there was just this genuineness of like God has done something beautiful and he saves sinners and that he's doing beautiful things around her. And, and there's just a level like you can't argue, you know? And she was there to please God and she didn't care about what people thought. She just knew that God did something beautiful and he, she had something to say. Um, absolutely beautiful. That's how Paul did ministry. And those are things that Paul wanted the Thessalonians to think about. He wanted them to rem- be reminded of that. Why? Stay tuned. Uh, four, number three. Three, four. Not a time signature. He says, uh, music, music joke. Uh, for we never came, yeah, sorry. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves, because you had come very dear to us. Um, i got to switch over my notes. First thing he says, For he never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. Uh, God is witness. You know, I remember this one student who uh, ran for student president at my university. Uh, and uh, he was, and he, you know, he's just like one of those guys who's trying to be a politician. I met him one time. He's just this chill guy. He's just a normal dude. You know, talking to him, it's good, chill. Uh, and then I met him one time at like some like event where he was like in politician mode. And he's just like, how's it going, sir? And just like, you know, like it's super fake. It was so weird. It was so weird. Uh, that's not Paul here. You know, politicians act a certain way to get you to like them, to vote for them, because they need your support. Uh, Paul didn't come and do that with the gospel of like, hello there, I don't really care about you, but I'm going to act really nice because I want your support. Or I want your money, or I want, I want this from you. No, Paul didn't come with a pretext for greed. He never flexed. You know, what's interesting is, like, back in, you know, the Greco-Roman world at this time, like, if you were a religious leader, you got treated with respect. That's not the case today. People treat you really weird. <laughs> I know because I work for a church. You know, you tell someone that, that doesn't have an air of respect. But regardless of your religion, there's a level of respect that came from that from society. And, you know, and I think even within Christianity, like, 
there's, hey, like, honor people. Honor people in authority. That's a thing. That's good. That's not a bad thing. But he didn't flex that muscle. He continues. He says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands. Oh, I, I jumped the gun. <laughs> that we could have made demands as the apostles of Christ. Think about what I just explained. So <laughs> they could have made demands as the apostles of Christ, but they didn't. They didn't seek glory from them or from others. And I'm just going to highlight this super quick. Because he says, not only did he seek glory, he did not seek glory from them, but he was gentle among them like a nursing mother. I don't know if there's a single picture that's more tender and gentle than a mother nursing a kid. And, uh, yeah. And that's how Paul described his ministry. Think about that. Gentle. Tender. Is that how you describe the way you care for people around you? You know, I think of, uh, I had to apologize multiple times this past weekend because I was being joking around too much and being sarcastic. And, the, and it wasn't matched with love and tenderness. And, uh, yeah. Luckily, that's not how Paul did ministry. And he says this at the end of this section. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had come very dear to us. You know, Paul didn't just share the gospel. He didn't just share the good news of Jesus, but he shared himself. You know, he's like, it's, I like, I care about you. He didn't try to get something out of them. He tried, he tried to get them. He actually gave himself for them. You know, I, I've really wrestled with a lot with the concept of when people say like, hey, don't treat me like a project. You know, that's an accusation Christians get a lot. Like, I'm just a project. And I think when people say that, I've wrestled with this. I think at least maybe one of the reasons why someone might say this um, is because they don't actually get cared for. It's people checking a box to share the gospel, which sharing the gospel is good. You should do that <laughs> if you don't know that. But we don't share the gospel to check a box religiously. We share the gospel because God loves people, and how can we not? Because God gave his life for you and cares for you. How can you not care for those? Um, you know, I just think of that because you had come very dear to us. Uh, so I, I think it's funny. When I, the way I struggle with this, when I, in a church environment, I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I feel comfortable on home turf. Like, I'm a little bit easier being outgoing. I'm introverted, but I, I have an easier time doing that. I have an easier time being honest and just being myself. If you take me out of that where I don't know anybody in the room, and especially it's like a, like, I for sure know that there's, like, no Christians around. Like, I, I'm not nearly as outgoing. I'm not nearly as genuine. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I have a harder time loving people in those environments. And I realize a lot of it's because I'm holding myself back. This is actually something Micah went, uh, always convicts me out on. And not, not in the sense of he calls me out, but just how he lives. He's himself wherever he's at. It's challenging. And uh, Paul was too. And he gave himself. He wasn't just honest when he's around people he felt safe around, that even if people he didn't know but felt safe around for some reason. He was himself and he cared about people even when he was a minority. Um, you know, I, the last, last example that makes me think of is it makes me think of Dan Harkey. Uh, and Dan was a dude who discipled me in high school shortly after I became a Christian. Uh, 
I've seen Dan laugh. I've seen Dan cry. I've seen Dan struggle so deeply he's confused. And I've seen Dan play video games and almost fall out of, out of his chair from laughing. You know? I've seen him struggle with loving his wife. I've seen him struggle with loving his kids. And I've seen him do it amazingly well. Um, if there's anything good about worship leading that I have, it's because I learned it from Dan Harkey. And, you know, and like, you know, that he, he shared his life with me. And you know who actually taught me? The first guy who just sat and just showed me how to read the Bible and, just, and he just modeled what it means to read the word and be changed by God? It was him. He wasn't super educated. He's not super smart, but man, that guy knows the word because he just sat and rested with the Lord. And you know, he had such a massive impact on me because he didn't just share the gospel, but he shared himself. I actually called him last week to pick his brain on some things um, because ironically, I became very dear to him, but he became very dear to me. Um, and I just can't help but think about this. And Paul wants the church at Thessalonica to think about it. Why? Is he just tooting his own horn? I don't think so. Four, number four. Is that getting confusing? It was for me, so... Um, he says, removing all barriers to the gospel. I'm oh, sorry, that was my title. Uh, he says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. You know, uh, just for the record, when he says work night and day we might not be a burden to any of you, he's referring to finances. Uh, Paul was a tent maker, so he literally made tents. So, you know, I work for the church. I'm the music director here. Um, also do some care stuff. And, uh, you know, and I'm supported by the church. But he could have been, but he didn't. And the reason he didn't is because he didn't want anything to get in between them and seeing the legitimacy of Jesus. Uh, none of you, most of you probably will never struggle with the temptation of being supported by the church. Um, but I think we all struggle with, are we willing to lay down certain rights that we have? Certain things that we can claim in honor of valuing the gospel and sharing the gospel. And you know what's interesting? I, I can't help but think of my wife, Amanda. Uh, there was a, long story short, there's a situation that she did awesome with her job and she came back from vacation and her boss was celebrating, like, hey, this thing, this awesome thing happened. And it was something Amanda, my wife, did. And it was one of her coworkers that got celebrated. They were like, we're super thankful. We'll just call her name Josie, you know. Uh, you know, we're super thankful that Josie did all this work. So, because apparently what happened is when Amanda was gone, uh, Josie apparently took all the credit for whatever happened. And just this kind of, like, weird competitiveness. Just like, eh. And so Amanda comes back as this, there's like this party thrown for Josie for something that she did. It's like something from Mean Girls, you know? Like it's, that's probably too old of a movie reference. Um, is it no? We all know? We all know Mean Girls? Lisa Lohan? Okay. So, Freak Friday, whatever other movie she was in. Uh, and you know, it's interesting. I remember like Amanda, she could have been passive and not brought up anything because she didn't want to meld the waters, or she could have been like, hey, that was like not okay. But I remember being convicted by this, is she really wanted to mend things 
with this girl? She wanted to just display the love of Christ and actually actively care for her and build friendship, which she tried to do and just got shut down a million times. And you know what's interesting is she didn't bring it up. Not because she was afraid to, not because she was passive, but she actually laid down something that was her right as an attempt to love this person. That's something that we don't do very often very much anymore. That doesn't mean that injustice is okay. That doesn't mean that there should be things that get overlooked. But it does mean that there's times that we lay down our rights to show the goodness and glory of Jesus. And you know who did that? Jesus. The only innocent person ever condemned, I mean, there's a lot of innocent people condemned to death. But the only innocent person ever condemned to death that bore the sins of the world in their place. The only person who didn't commit evil. Um, he did it. Another thing is he didn't just like not take advantage of rights that he could have to love them. He actually was holy and righteous and blameless in the conduct toward them. And uh, I think of like there's no scandals that came out. There's nobody that came forward. There's no abuse that happened. You know, there's no one that has all these stories that like, hey, if you actually got him behind closed doors, he was a jerk. There's no one that got chewed out by him. And, you know, I, I think of, yeah. And he wants the Thessalonians to remember this. Why? Did I skip one? There we go. Which brings us to our last four. For you know how like a father we, ex- we exhorted, for, for you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you, oh sorry, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So he gives this father with his children analogy, exhort, which means passionately teach. That's probably a bad definition, but Google it. Uh, we exhorted you, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You know, I think it's interesting. Notice how Paul doesn't exhort people to church. He doesn't exhort people to try harder. He doesn't exhort people to take part of certain cultural things, certain cultural values. He doesn't exhort people to start listening to Christian music. He exhorts people to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory, a.k.a. he exhorts people to know Jesus. You can't get God out of it. You can't talk about church and not talk about God. You can't talk about the gospel and not talk about God. You can't talk about the Bible and theology and not talk like God's actually a real person. And, you know, I I think the reason of why, right? Why does Paul want them to think about it? I think it's actually in this text, even though it's not super explicit. If you don't believe my argument, you can go back and read 1 Thessalonians and its whole flow, and you'll actually notice that... uh, Sorry that the end of this verse, I jumped the gun, ignore that. The end of this verse, walking a man worthy of God who calls him to his kingdom of glory, is actually, he almost repeats it almost word for word in the beginning of chapter four. Um, and so that doesn't answer the question of why. So why does Paul want to get the Thessalonians to remember? I think he gives two reasons. And the first one is this. For God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory, is he wants the Thessalonians to remember that Paul's ministry to them wasn't just Paul. That's not the reason why it was potent. 
Paul wasn't just a good friend. Paul wasn't just the one who labored among them. But God used him. Paul was the mouthpiece. But it was actually God who was calling them. God was actually using Paul to love people in Thessalonica and reconcile broken people that are separated from God to himself. And what does that mean for us? That means you should see God in your story. You know the reasons why I've been telling so many stories? is because I've had the privilege of seeing God do beautiful things to different people in my life and be challenged by different people in my life. But the reason why that's beautiful is not just because there's good people that do good things, but because God works in broken hearts and does beautiful things. And don't you for a second miss the Lord in your story. I know there's a lot of brokenness. I know there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of people who ministered among you who shared the gospel that failed in some massive ways. There's a lot of stories I didn't share. But don't for a second miss the Lord. Because that's the heart of this text. When you see the beautiful things in your past, don't miss God. Don't for a second miss God. Don't see Dan Harkey and miss God. Don't see Lucas and miss God. Don't see all the other people I've mentioned that are in my notes somewhere <laughs> and miss God. So, which brings me to my last point. This is, so why number one? Because he doesn't want you to miss God in his story in their story. He didn't, Paul didn't want the Thessalonians to miss God, and for you, don't miss God in your story. But he also wants them to walk in a manner worthy of God, which is what's said in the beginning of chapter 4, which is the end of Paul telling stories, just for the record. Um, once you walk in a manner worthy of God, and, you know, he wants you to follow Jesus, and for us, what this means Follow Jesus with every bit of your life because he's worth every bit of it. If you're a believer, go back and think. I encourage you, if you want some homework, if you're struggling with, if you're struggling with stuff right now, I want you to go back and I want you to just list 10 memories like I just shared. Five if you can't think of 10. I just want you to ask the question, just see God, be thankful, because I guarantee you that's going to help you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because God's done beautiful things. If you're a Christian, you know, I love the psalmist that says, I have a beautiful inheritance. If the Spirit's in your life, God's done beautiful things in your life. If you're not a Christian here, and you're like, well, what about me? The reality is the Lord's calling you right now. You've heard the gospel. God's real. He does beautiful things. And I, don't, I, I feel confident enough that I don't have to prove that. And so my encouragement to you would be to respond to him in faith. Call Jesus Lord and Savior and move and start walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Not because you need to do that to earn the favor of God, but because God loves sinners and has forgiven every past, present sin for anyone who wants it, which is good news. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, I just, I just want to pray if there's anything that was of you, I pray you right on our hearts, anything that wasn't, help us forget it. Um, Lord, I pray if there's anything that you want to change in the way that we do ministry, just practically, whether it was said through one of the stories or whether it was said through one of Paul's points or whether it was said in one of the questions, God, I, I pray for just wisdom and what that practically looks like. Spirit, I pray you just would draw the lines of the specific things you want us to do, and I pray we would not walk out of this room uh, quenching you or ignoring anything that you want to do. Uh, God, I praise you that you've worked beautiful things in our lives and you're not far off. 
Uh, Father, I praise you for being close in your sovereignty that you know in your knowledge and that you know every single one of the hairs in our head. Jesus, I praise you for being close and putting on flesh and walking among us and that you're physically alive today. Spirit, I praise you for being in our hearts, crying out the Father, and that we can know we're beloved children of God because of your very presence. God, that is good news. We thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray that you'd even just remind the people in this room of how you've been present in their stories. I pray you lead them in worship, even as we sing right now. I pray this all in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You guys stand.